Are you ready for a fun episode today and learn a lot about copywriting? This is the episode to listen to. Today, I have Crystal Adar Benning on the show, and she is a copywriter and a ghostwriter, and you are going to learn all about her quantum copy method. Basically, it's combining the science of writing with the spirituality of creativity. She is going to dive into her advice to business owners on writing for websites, emails, and more. She gets really in-depth with her quantum copy method. And then she talks about the biggest benefit in writing a book. So if you ever thought about writing a book, you have some ideas, you don't know how to get started, this is the episode for you. And before we jump in, I just want to quickly remind you that the pre-sale is happening now on the 12-month content guide. Make sure you grab that. It's only $14 and it will be released on February 14th, but you can grab the pre-sale for only $14. Okay, let's get into the episode. Hey there, sister. Welcome to the Social Media for Mompreneurs podcast. I'm your host, Allison Scholes, and I am on a mission to help mompreneurs like you ditch the Instagram overwhelm and take control of your time on the app and build an extraordinary brand and business, but still be fully present with your family and just be crazy happy with your life. This show is filled with Instagram strategies, marketing hacks, branding and business tips with a side of coffee and Jesus. If you're ready for some juicy content, you know what to do. Hand your kiddos those tablets, open those juice boxes, grab your coffee, whiskey, or wine, and let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. And today we are going to dive into copy, writing copy for your websites, your emails. And then we're also going to dabble into the benefits of writing a book. So my friend Crystal is here today. She is from, did you say the British Columbia? I do live in BC. Yeah. Yeah, Right. I was like, Whoa, I think you're my first guest from British Columbia. So I'm excited to chat with you. I know it's early for you this morning. It is dark in her background if you're watching on video, but I am ready to dive into this because I have some great questions for her today that I want to learn. And I know you are just going to learn along with me. So welcome to the show, Crystal. Hey, thanks for having me, Allison. And before we dive into all of your wisdom, and I just loved your uh, the intro that you sent over to me, like you're the word magician, the story supercharger, ghostwriter, like that just intrigued me to have you on the show. So I would love for you to go back to the beginning, tell us how you started this journey of getting into copywriter and ghostwriter. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I didn't follow a straight line trajectory into my career as most of us don't. <laughs> my very first book that I ever wrote. So I, when I was 14, okay, we're going, we're going way back in the history books here. When I was 14, I actually worked for a radio show in Toronto, very famous radio show. And I was the researcher. So that was my internship when I was in school. I was a researcher and a writer for the radio show. So I would research all of the facts and figures. I would come up with all the data. I would read the books. I would come up with the questions they were going to ask. And I loved it. I absolutely adored it. Well, the radio show host got offered a book deal while hmm. I was there. And uh, funny story, she didn't write any of her own stuff because it was all <laughs> me. So when she got her book deal, she actually came to me and asked if I would ghost write her book. I had no idea what a ghostwriter did. Uh, long story short, I wrote it in the span of about a year. 
And it was published when I was 15, turning 16, and it immediately went on the New York Times bestseller list. So it was a very popular book at the time, years and years and years ago. Um, really long story short on that one, I actually got screwed on my deal. I, you know, I was 14 when I, when I said yes to writing this book. I got screwed. I didn't get paid for it. And it really kind of sucked. It, it was a really challenging time in my life. But I had the benefit of the publisher knew I was ghostwriting this book. And ultimately, they took me under their wing. And I learned a lot from working for them. So my publishing career started really by accident, foiled with a, with a bad business deal that eventually turned into a career because somebody saw my potential and said yes. So I didn't go the traditional route. I, uh, I actually went to school for radio and television arts. I didn't go to school for journalism or English or any of that sort of stuff. I was just, uh, I guess, a writer from the time that I was young. Uh, flash forward, I actually was continued to work with the publishing companies and stuff behind the scenes. Never really told a soul that I did it. I just kind of did it because I liked it. I took on a book here and there. I didn't, you know, I didn't think of it as a career, honestly, in my head. And I became a wedding planner. So I actually went the route of weddings and events for two decades. I planned concerts and festivals and summits and retreats and conferences and weddings all over the globe. Loved it. And in 2019, 2020, when the world started to shut down, <laughs> I, like many other people, were like, this is my out. I'm going to go do the other thing that I'm really, really good at. And I'm just going to tell the world. So as a ghostwriter, I get paid literally to be quiet. I, I write. Nobody knows who I write for. Nobody knows what I write. And in 2019, 2020, I came out of the ghostwriting closet and told people what I was up to. So I can't tell you the books I've written because of confidentiality clauses, but I can now be very honest with the fact that this is what I do for a living. So yeah, that's kind of my story. And that is such an interesting story. You have worn so many hats. And I think it's kind of funny how I've noticed as I've spoken to a lot of entrepreneurs on this show, that how we start out and what we go to school for, then we try something different. And sometimes we pivot right back to what we loved, what we initially loved to do, because I started out in the banking industry, but I was their marketing coordinator doing all their graphics and stuff. And then I went and got my master's in teaching. And I was, yeah. I thought that was going to be the end all be all. I hated it. <laughs> I, did. I hated it. And now I'm back to being an entrepreneur and I am doing, you know, social media and graphics and all of that stuff and doing self-publishing journals. So it's yeah. like, it's kind of full circle. And I think a lot of us entrepreneurs will find that you will go full circle and you might go full circle mm -hmm. again. Like you may do that circle several times, but now you are teaching other people how to write copy because of your experience as a ghostwriter, which is really cool. I really didn't know what a ghostwriter was until now. So thank you for <laughs> finding that. Cause I remember seeing that going, I really don't know what that is, what but is that? Yeah, what know, is right? so I'm so glad you clarified that, but you have something called the quantum copy method. And I'm dying to know what this is. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So let's just start by saying that I cracked my writer's chops literally by doing the work. I wasn't somebody who went and took a class and learned how to do it. I had a natural skill to start. I am totally honest about it. I had a natural skill to start. And I started using what I knew and what I saw. I started paying really close attention to the advertising that worked, 
the marketing that worked, the websites that worked and the ones that didn't. And I literally looked at it like a set of patterns and code to try and figure out like, why does this one work? And why doesn't this one work? And I remember my first practice with copy was I was working in events and we, you know, in events, we sell tickets to things. It's marketing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have an event to plan if people don't show up to my events. So I started following people that were selling products and selling events and recognizing like, why is this work over that? And I really became a student of the work first. My, some of my first practice was literally writing out scripts from websites word for word to try and figure out why does this make sense? Why does this work? Why would somebody buy this versus this? Right. And so I started cracking and practicing my chops on my own events. That was where it began. I started looking at my events and going, well, I don't have a job if I can't sell this event, period, right? It's great Mm -hmm. to be an incredible event planner, but if you don't have people coming to your events, you don't have events to plan. So I started doing it out of necessity. That was where it kind of started from. And I started looking at the way that we market and the way that we've marketed for years, probably the last decade, at least two decades has been trigger marketing and something that we refer to as bro marketing. So bro marketing is when we are very fake about the way that we do things. We pose with fancy airplanes and we, you know, lean up against somebody's Lambo and take a picture. We do all of these things to make ourselves seem bigger than we actually are. And then we trigger the crap out of people by going after their trigger and their pain instead of reaching into their pleasure. And I was like, well, hold up. Yes, it works, right? There's a reason we did it for two decades. It works. Let's be honest. It still works. But what's happened in the last five years is a change in the social consciousness and the awareness of ourselves about marketing. And because of that shift in sociology and biology and our, our brain power, we are starting to see that we see through the marketing. We know when somebody's lying to us and it's not their Lambo. We know if you got sent on a trip that was paid for because you're an influencer, not because you could afford it. We understand that there is a fakeness to social media. It's aspirational often, right? Mm -hmm. We always talk about like, we don't show the like shitty parts of our lives. We show the highlight reel. Right. And people were very, very used to that. But because of that, we also take everything with a grain of salt. Somebody posts something, you read it and you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And you move on. And the challenge is that when we're marketing and selling ourselves, if we're seemingly fake or if we're just triggering people, right? If we're talking about all this stuff that just triggers the crap out of people, people don't want to buy because they're triggered. In fact, they turn it off, right? Cancel culture is real. Mm-hmm. If you're triggering me, I'm not going to sit and listen to your shit. I'm going to delete you, right? So we're, we're buying out. We're saying, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. But what we are still buying into is the idea of pleasure. You can be aspirational and real, right? So I look at my own life as a, as a carbon copy example. A lot of humans who follow me are like, man, you travel a lot. I do. I'm a digital nomad. My husband and I earn enough money we can travel. We never show you shit we can't afford. I'm not going to a fancy hotel and just taking pictures and leaving. I'm showing you the place I'm actually staying. And we make no bones about the fact that we made a decision in our lives not to purchase a home. This is a beautiful rental. I love this house. 
as soon as the light comes up, you'll see that that is actually the ocean behind me. I love this house. It's not my home. It's my home for now. Mm -hmm. Right. And that becomes aspirational to people because they're like, oh, she didn't buy a multi-million dollar home. She's renting it. Duh. And now you feel more aligned because you're like, oh, okay, that's something I could consider. Right. I could consider renting a home for a while. The same thing goes with trigger points. Instead of triggering people and talking about how shitty their copy is and how they're never going to make sales and they're never going to make money, I could do that. And some people are going to be like, oh, I feel that in my soul. That sucks. You're right. Why would I do that when I can talk about the fact that all it takes is clarifying your offer, making a really great offer, aligning it to your human, and you're actually going to sell People will literally come to you, not to follow a script, but because you genuinely put your heart and soul out there and did it in an authentic way that they can go, oh my gosh, that's real. The posts that get the most activity on social media are no longer the ones that feel fake. It's the ones that feel real. Try making a post without makeup on your face and watch how many people are interested. Try making a post about your real life and watch how many people are like, wow, why? Because behind the scenes is VIP these days. Yes. And as you were talking the whole time, the number one word that came to my head is relatability. Yes. A hundred percent. Relatability. Relatability is actually sexy AF now. That's what people want. So quantum copy method works on basically four major principles. Well, five technically. So the fifth, the the first principle that we talk about is, is it ethical? Meaning, is it big, fat, and bony, or is it real? The second is we look at belief bubbles. And belief bubbles essentially are, there are eight levels that we as humans achieve in our lives. This has been studied. We basically fall into eight values levels as we grow. Now, there's some science telling us that there's actually nine and 10 levels, possibly higher. But realistically, most of us fall in these like eight levels. So essentially, excuse me, what happens is you're born at level one. And as you grow and develop as a human, you move up the levels, right? Okay. That's the simplified version of it. Think of it like a ladder. You're going to go up. If you experience trauma, you slide down the ladder. You can come back and you will. But when we experience trauma, we slide down the ladder. But we move at a certain value level. So when you're a business owner, you are essentially selling a value level. Your business has a value to it, a belief system around it, right? So I'll give you an example. If you're a value level, okay, so the basic ones that people fall in usually are three to seven. So value level three, I'm a black sheep. I start to recognize that I'm separate from the people around me and I've got something interesting and different about me, okay? Think teens, think entertainers, musicians, anybody that fits that black sheep mold. And that's where, like, that's their strong selling feature. Lady Gaga is my favorite black sheep, right? Like right there, very strong. Once I think of Billie Eilish. Yes, Billie Eilish is a great example, right? Yeah. Ozzy Osbourne is a great example. Like entertainers and musicians tend to yes. be strong threes. Then we move into... Uh, teens, by the way, also strong threes because they're growing and they're just discovering that there's something about them that they're different from the people around them. Very strong threes. So if you work with teens, threes, that is your number. You're right there. Fours, however, come back to family. 
Spores really, their whole thing is about family. That's where they live. They live in the rules of family. Also, if you're in the military, if you're in a religion, if you're in some sort of a group where there's a lot of rules and systems and processes, you're a strong four. If you deal with moms and all you hear is family first, family above all else, they're a four. They love their systems, their process, their rules. That's what keeps them safe and comfortable. Awesome. We know that they're a four. By the way, there is no judgment in what level you are. It, you just are what you are. Okay. Like it, it, it's not like if I'm a seven, I'm better than a four. I'm better than a three. It, there is no better than. Uh, you just are what you are. It's a it's a measurement tool to just get a, a thing. And we move through these all throughout our lives. So I can be a seven now and something happens to me and I become a five tomorrow. Like it, we shift, right? Fives, entrepreneurs driven by money, driven by experience, driven for achievements, right? These are achievement addicts, right? Gary Vaynerchuk, when he originally, a couple of years ago, before he went kind of very into the feelings of things, Gary Vaynerchuk was my like 100% example of an achievement addict. Somebody that was all about hustle, faster, easier, better, right? That language of like, how do I do it? And you're driven for money and achievement. You're a strong five. A lot of entrepreneurs were starting businesses, strong fives. Sixes, we've had that money and that achievement. Guess what? We weren't fulfilled from it. So suddenly we decide that we're going to go on an ayahuasca retreat to Peru and we're going <laughs> to, we're going to like find ourselves and experience spirituality. And in the process, we often give away a lot of our money because it starts to have no meaning. What's the point of having all this money if it doesn't have meaning? Mm -hmm. Right? So, so we they're in search of their purpose. They're in search of purpose. They're in search of like, what does it all mean? What am I here for? Right? That's a six. I call them spiritual souls. They're amazing humans. I love sixes. But then sixes develop. And after they've like given away all their shit and they're sitting in Peru in their undies, puking in a bucket, they sit there and go, well, this feels silly. <laughs> I don't want to do this. And this is all hyperbole and just me like expressing on the on the like biggest level, what it looks like for a lot of people, spiritual awakening just simply looks like, Oh God, like I have all this money and I'm not happy. And then they may turn to a Bible. They might turn to mother nature and, and shamanism, like all kinds of things happen in the spiritual journey. And that probably happened quickly during COVID. There was probably a, a lot, lot of, of that. people. There yes. was a lot of that during COVID. People questioning, like, I have all this money and I still can't do anything. Yes. Now what? Uh -huh. So you're exactly right, Allison. We saw a lot of people change levels during COVID, mm -hmm. like more than we've ever seen in the history of the world for a long time. Like, let's face it, we all started to shift. And then sevens are the people that are like, yeah, so my vomit bucket in Peru was cool. I give away all my cash, but now I want all of it. I want money and impact. I want to be spiritual. And know that me having money allows me to change the world, right? So sevens are a paradox, right? I always think of like Tony Robbins as a great example. Makes billions of dollars and still runs his Thanksgiving program where he feeds families, right? He's got a ton of money and he still wants to have massive impact in the world. He's still promoting companies and businesses and people that he feels are really earth-changing and impactful. And he still sells his systems because they're impactful. Right. So he's an example of a paradox. Oprah is another one that I like to use. She's a great paradox. Russell Brand, 
right? Like Russell Brand, you can literally look back in his iterations over the last couple of years. He went from a strong five, money, 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 doing performances and entertaining to totally going spiritual and like giving it all up for spirituality. And now he's kind of back in that middle ground of like, hold up, I can have money and still be spiritual and still change the world. It's okay. And then our eights, just to kind of give you the context of where you go after a seven, they're ascended masters. They're, they live in the we and the quantum of it all. And when we talk quantum, we talk about multiple timelines and multiple dimensions of our existence, right? Our souls live in different timelines and different existences. Just because you and I are having this conversation doesn't mean that one, on some other quantum level, I'm not sitting on a beach right now. Right. Or, is that why people experience deja vu all the time? <laughs> yeah, it, it is, right? It like is. That's, quantum is is literally like you may have done this in another lifetime. Uh-huh. You may have met this person in another lifetime. But it's the understanding that we exist and everything that you do affects me. It's like the, you know, the butterfly effect, the Mandela right. effect, all of that stuff. That's where we get into the cosmic connection. A lot of us consciously understand it, but we don't believe it is our value. So there's a difference between the way we consciously understand something and our actual belief system. And if you want to know what your belief system is, look around you, look at the things you value, right? Because your beliefs are what you value. So if you're somebody who's driven by money and achievement, chances are you're going to Mexico to buy a Rolly. You want a big fancy Rolly, right? That's your deal. You're going for a Rolex. You're like, woo, my husband, strong five, just came back from Mexico, bought himself a Rolex. I'm literally using him as my example of a five, <laughs> a strong five. He is a banker. He is driven by money. He's driven by achievement. That is who my husband is. I, on the other hand, happen to be a seven. I've made my money. Then I give it all away in search of spirituality. So I am the joke that I make about sixes. And then I came back to it and said, well, hold up. I actually want to make money and have impact. And so now I do philanthropic work and I still make money. The money allows me to do the philanthropic work as well as have a business, right? There's no judgment on where we are, but the difference is the language that we use, right? So as I was describing those things, you heard me use certain phrases and words that are going to appeal to those people. So when you're writing, it's important to know who your people are. Fun fact, your people are usually at least a level, if not two below you. They don't typically hire you if they're the same level. And you need to know the level you're at what level your business needs to relate to people at? I might be a seven. My business is a five. I help you generate more money. I help my achievement addicts achieve more by writing copy that's going to help you convert and create better copy, right? So I know that when I'm writing, the language I need to use is five language. I can't speak to you as a seven because you're not a seven. It's going to be like me speaking Japanese to somebody who only speaks French. You're going to be like, what? I don't get it. I don't understand it. So the the number one part of quantum copy is recognizing, fine, there is a we, a collective we, but our experience is very based in our values. So if you understand the values of your client and you speak directly to those values and you use the language that they understand, you're actually going to sell more product. So that's the major piece of quantum copy. There's two other pieces to it, uh, three other pieces. Hierarchy of sales messaging. So oftentimes we go straight after the high ticket item instead of going for the low ticket item that's going to intro them to us and teach them something first. We are naturally skeptical. We've been Mm -hmm. under two decades 
of people selling us high ticket offers that never converted and we couldn't figure out why, right? We've heard people talk about, I made a million dollars last year. Okay, congrats. And they'll tell you like, I did it all on selling. <laughs> Bless me, sorry. They'll tell you, I did it all on selling a course. And then they'll say, do you want to learn how to do it? Buy my course for $59.99. And you're like, oh, that's how you did it. You sold me on how to sell the course. Do we see the irony? Yes. Right? So that so what happens is when we talk about the hierarchy of sales messaging, yes, you have a high ticket offer. There are going to be many people that want your high ticket offer. But the first thing that you need to worry about is how do you show them that you are honest, trustworthy, and can get them results, period. And oftentimes it's a little thing. So for me, sometimes it's being on a podcast. Sometimes it's taking a free class off my website. Sometimes it's taking a retreat or a workshop that I'm running. And then when you want the biggest results in the fastest way possible, you come to my HDO, which is working with me one-on-one, right? Some people will come straight to a one-on-one and just be like, Chris will just write for me. Other people are going to need me to show them the steps to say, you are my human. That's okay. So we, when I, when you go to my website, really, it talks about my one-on-one work, but I really push you into take my free class, test me out, road, road test me, see if you like me. Let's do Mm -hmm. this first. Right. And that gives them the confidence that when you say, yes, I'm going to hand over a bigger dollar amount to me that you already like me and you trust me and you know, I can get you a result. That's all it's doing. It's building trust. Then we do two other things, and this is really simple. And if you only take one thing away from copy, take these two things. Pleasure principle. Lean into the pleasure of working with you. The pleasure of working with you is the result that you can create for your client. And the second thing you want to do on a really quick scale is envision that every piece of copy you write is a love letter to your client. A love letter is about them, not about you. We use we and you language, not I language. It is filled with empathy and kindness and compliments. It is about serving them, not serving ourselves. So if every message you send, every cold DM, every social media post you make, every email you send out, every website you create, you think of it as a love letter that you are crafting to this human, you will exponentially improve your copy simply by keeping that in mind. I love that piece of advice. And I'm already thinking about, okay, so every time I sit down to write an email, and I think a lot of times as entrepreneurs, it's just a routine. And we forget to take that business routine aspect out of it and make it more personal, make it more relatable. So I like that. So if you're listening right now, the next time you write an email or the next time you're going to write a social media blog post or you know, for Instagram or Facebook, go ahead and write your caption. Like I'm a big fan of like, just write it, just brain dump it, but then look at it and look for those key eyes, right? Me, how can you restructure it to be more you and we, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, I love that. That's the best piece of advice. And if you want one extra little tip, this is like the bonus tip, the piece de resistance. Sign off your emails with something that's freaking relatable or something that's cheeky or funny. Now, again, context here, right? Like if you're writing a, like, I hate to say it, but like a screw you email, you're not going to want to end off on a funny note. That's going to be awkward. But 
I often will go in and look for a funny PS of something that I noticed about them, something I saw from them recently. Maybe they took a vacation with their family and I saw a picture and I can ask them about the location that they went. I can ask them a question. Or maybe it's as simple as your new profile photo. I love the hat you chose. Where did you get it? I need one, right? Like little relatable things that make people feel like they are seen right? Because that's a love letter. It's being seen. Mm -hmm. And how scary is that? But also how enduring is it when somebody sees us? So I always end and look for something where I can be seen, even if it's a DM. If you were to DM me tomorrow, I'm going to go like Facebook stalk you for five minutes. I'm going to invest five minutes of my time into going, who is this person? What are they about before I respond to you? Because I want to know. I want to know if it's like an, a bot who's just messaged me, who is just selling me shit. Mm-hmm. Or if you're a genuine human who has a family, who has a life, who posts things that are interesting. And if you're the second, if you're the second kind, I'm going to take the time to say, hey, you took the time to message me. Let me find out something about you. That's the whole point of DMs. It's being social, folks. Right. So if you're not being social, if you're just responding with, oh, I don't like sales in my DMs. Welcome to the world. We actually sell, stop calling it selling, start calling it enrolling. Hmm. We enroll people every day in who we are. This being on a podcast is me enrolling you and enrolling your audience in what I believe. And if you believe it, chances are you're going to do your research and you're going to go find my website, or you're going to take another one of my classes, or you're going to come find me, right? Because you now find me enrolling. You find me engaging enough to say, hey, I want to follow this human. Let's do that. Every single interaction we have with people online, every social post you make, every DM you send, every caption you write, every comment you send back, think of it as being incredibly thoughtful and kind, and it will not go unnoticed. If you send more than love it, on a social media post, if you actually write a thoughtful question, if you ask something in curiosity and continue the conversation, I promise you, you will start connecting and converting faster than anything I can teach you. And I want to point out too, because we're talking a little bit about Instagram here and talking about the DMs, Mm -hmm. something that, and maybe it's just me, something that I cannot stand is someone who I know has never Mm -hmm. liked or commented on any of my content. And out of the blue, they'll use my name. They'll say, hi, Allison, I love your stuff. How did you get started in your business? What? You want me to just start that conversation? We've had zero interaction, zero. And you want me to unload? Like I I I feel the opposite. See, I'm the opposite. I love it when you send me those questions. Awesome. Because you're asking me to enroll you in me. Great. I'm going to do it all day, every day. All day, every day. I might give you somewhat of a canned response that says, hey, I actually fell into copywriting and ghostwriting, but turns out I'm a natural talent, which I didn't understand at first. I love what I do. I write for Rebels, Misfits, and World Changing Humans. That's usually my canned response that goes back to them. What happens next, and we know that it's a sales message, that's what's coming. I get curious about them. When they send me something back, I literally ask questions in curiosity and I engage them deeper because if they're willing to go deeper with me, I have purchased from people out of a DM. A hundred percent. The very first coach I ever hired came as a DM. 
he DM'd me, Alan, I love you still to this day. You're amazing. Alan D cold DM me and said, Hey, I've been watching your work, by the way, what is it that you want to achieve this year? Hmm. That was what he asked me. Great question. And I answered because I was curious where it was going to go. Turns out we ended up working together for about six months of coaching. And I absolutely loved him. And in the process of working with him, I changed the way that he actually approached people in DMs because I was like, hey, I get it. This totally worked. And can we amplify how you're doing it? So the way to connect to somebody in a DM is to get curious and ask a question. Usually, how did you get started in your business? Not my favorite question. Usually, I'm more likely to ask you a question about a photo I saw or something that you're doing, or maybe it's a program that you're offering that I'm just curious about, whatever. But I never turned down a chance because me saying no to responding to your shitty DM, A, you lose the opportunity to understand why it's a shitty DM, right? And B, I lose the opportunity to enroll you now in me. Do you know how many clients I've had because they reached out to enroll me and I just re, I like literally rolled them into me enrolling them. It's great. Think of it like a fun little adventure. How can you enroll them in your program or your offering? Yeah, I like that mind twist there that you just kind of turned it. I love that. Yeah. So I'm going to start trying that. I'm going to reverse that and start asking them questions. (laughs) It's a great way to do it. And to be honest, the person who asks the best questions is usually the one who wins the sale. Because if you can make somebody stop and really think about something, you will always end up with the sale. I love that. That's such great advice. Curiosity and humanity. Shocking that that still works, right? But welcome to <laughs> welcome to life. That's coffee in a nutshell. And that works, by the way, whether it's a website, a cold DM, a social media post, an email, whatever. The best emails I ever send, literally the ones that get the most response are like nine word emails that are like, hey, are you still interested in this thing? Why? Why is that the thing that wins you over? But the thing is, when somebody sends an email that says, hey, Allison, are you still interested in working with me one-on-one? Do you feel obliged to respond? I bet you do. Because I used your name, I got personal, and I immediately asked you a question that requires an answer. Yes. And so you're going to respond. So questions are your greatest tool and asset. So many of us like to expunge and monologue in our social media posts. When somebody asking a question will garner more interest from people, more connection to people, because it's a conversation now. So I think that might be the second takeaway, because the first one was think of everything you write as a love letter. Mm-hmm. The second takeaway is ask more questions, because I feel that Definitely. as entrepreneurs, you know, we're so we know what we know, right? Mm-hmm. And we want to share it. So we feel like we need to 100%. do this vomit dump of information. So it almost becomes information overload and maybe your audience just isn't ready for it. So instead of information overload, start asking questions. Mm -hmm. And if you ever want to win the sale, like we've all had this. So my other favorite topic to talk about is sales because I love sales because it's essentially enrollment. When somebody gets on a sales call, A, they've already agreed, right? If they say yes to a sales call, if you've booked a sales call, you've already agreed that you're interested. That's all I need. Cool. I've got my aid. You're interested. Then a sales call, they think it's about me telling them all the reasons that I'm amazing. And I literally turn my sales calls around and say, 
Let's start with you. Tell me where you're at and what do you need? If you can make them speak first, they tell you exactly what you need to tell them back. Yes. And then you literally just repeat the process. Writing copy is the same way. If I ask a great question and you answer it, I already know what copy you need to hear back. So it's really about conversation that's going to help you create your copy. Conversation is the key to it all. You don't have to make shit up. You don't have to invent problems that don't exist for your client. You literally just have to ask them and they will tell you. And then you find the solution and you tell them what the solution is. That's it. It goes right back. Solve our problems. Yeah. And it goes right back to what you said in the beginning in those belief bubbles. They're giving you the language. Exactly. You just turn around and restate it it. back. Yeah. You just restate it with your solution. Yeah. If I'm working with a mom who's telling, like, if I'm working with moms and they are literally saying to me over and over that their biggest concern is family above all else and having more time for their family. And I want to sell them copy. I, my response is, Hey, how would it feel if I did the copy for you so that you had more time to spend with your kids right now? Right. As a mom, are you going to say yes to that? <laughs> of course. Of course you are. You're like, I get more time with my kids and my work gets done. Done. How much is it? Great. Sign me up. Awesome. And all I did was repeat back what you already told me. You yeah. used the words. I didn't, I didn't even have to invent anything. A great copywriter is actually an incredible listener. My job is to listen deeper than a therapist. That is my job. My job is not to write. My job is to listen and then change it back to you. That's it. That's the whole secret of copy. We've distilled it down into basically one whole little vibe, but it's be a great listener and learn how to rephrase or reframe things for clients. That's it. That's all we need. That's awesome. That's perfect. And now this is a perfect segue to the second part of our conversation is I know that you were, we talked about your ghost writing past. So I want to know from you, like what's the biggest benefit in writing a book? Oh my gosh. So I mean, there's a million benefits to writing a book, but what I'm finding now is that it immediately solidifies you as an expert and an authority in your topic, right? So if you are writing a book to promote your business, if you want to be a speaker on a stage, you are literally encapsulating your ideas. It becomes like a legacy piece, right? When you're done and gone, your book is the legacy that your family has and that your colleagues have, and that the world has, that you existed, these were your thoughts, your ideas, and your your concepts, right? Now, a lot of us write books and we pull in concepts and ideas and thoughts from other humans. That's totally fine. What makes it unique is the way that you assemble it in your brain, right? So when we do produce something, we all pull from everything. Uh, I think Elizabeth Gilbert was the one who said there are no new ideas in the world, right? I could be miscrediting that, forgive me if I am, but there are no new ideas in the world. So if you believe in that concept, there are no new ideas that everything we're doing is recycled. Um, the idea here is that your t- what makes it interesting, what makes it different is your spin on it. Mm-hmm. The concepts that I talked about, belief bubbles, hierarchy of sales messaging, pleasure principles, love letter language, ethical copy, they're not new concepts. People have talked about them. What makes them different is that I recognize that it's not one piece, it's five. And the five has to work for quantum copy. And when we talk about quantum copy, we're actually talking about 
utilizing all of those principles in a way that makes us human, aligned, and connected. And when those three things happen, magic happens in your copy, right? So the reason we write a book is literally so that our magic can exist for longer than a social media post. Our magic continues and it gives us a platform and it makes us an authority and an expert. There's something about having a book that immediately makes you an expert. When you hear somebody say, I have a book, are you not like, damn, all right, what's your book about? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. I want to know. I'm always excited when people tell me they have a book because I'm always like, what's it about? Tell me uh -huh. about your book. And a lot of times I pick up other people's books. I didn't know, for example, that you had a journal. Now I'm curious and was like, I need to go Google Allison's journal when we're done. <laughs> I need to hop on Amazon and grab myself a copy, right? We love it when other people are experts because your expertise helps me grow. And books are the fastest way to do that. So many of us think it's the internet. Screw the internet. The fastest way to get a deeper understanding of humanity and humans and people is to actually read books and read their books. You want to know somebody, read their book. Whether yes. they ghost wrote it or whether they wrote it themselves, go read their book. You will understand that human 100% better. Yeah. And that goes right back to what I say, because, you know, everyone comes to me and they're like, oh, content, I it needs to be authentic. What does that really mean? And I'm like, here it is. Authentic content is just what you've learned. And then you just infuse your personality and your experience with it. Yeah. That, that's all it is. So our... So here's the thing. So storytelling is 100% the best way that we can share our wisdom and knowledge and have it be understood by people. And the understanding is key. I can state a fact. You won't understand it until I back it up with a story. It's the, it's the like show don't tell kind of version, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to show you why this means this, right? So when I talk to people about the power of words, I will often use this example, right? Think of something that you uh, that you have to do, right? So I have to walk my dog every day. Think about that. I have to walk my dog. How does that feel in your body? Yeah, not great. Not great. I get to walk my dog. How does that feel? Much better. Right? Now we suddenly feel gratitude. And then what if we amped it up a notch and said, I'm blessed to walk my dog, right? Or I'm excited to walk my dog, or I'm happy to walk my dog. You can replace it with a million different words. That's the fun in word choice. But the power here is that words express human emotion and feeling. And when we have feeling in our words, that's how we actually remember shit. So the reason we tell story is so that we have feeling. Feeling is like our weird core memory center, right? Inside Out, the like Disney flick with all the marbles that represent key memories, mm -hmm. that actually happens inside of your brain. You can think of it like a core memory, but literally that's what happens. We have core memories. We have books that are core memories for us. Everybody has a book. What was your favorite book growing up as a kid? What was the one that you loved? Oh, the one that comes to mind is I had two in high school, The Outsiders and To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh my God. Outsiders, one of my favorite. Pony Boy, ugh, love it. Yep. Pop, all good. <laughs> I love those books, right? Core memory. You have created a core memory with that book. You remember that book. You might even now remember the movie that goes with the book, right? Mm -hmm. You create a core memory around the story and you learn things. What did you learn from that story? Yeah. And you know what? And I also think it goes back to what you said earlier. It's not what we write in like what we write and going back to our personal brand, it's not about showcasing who we are. 
It's about make how our audience feels. Mm-hmm. And that's how you become memorable. Mm-hmm. And so when we're writing copy, we're writing emails, we're writing social media posts, I think that's the biggest takeaway here. It's not about you hitting a certain point and trying to get a point across. It's how are you leaving your audience? How are they feeling after they've interacted with your copy or your content? Would you agree with that? Yeah, to a certain extent. And and that doesn't mean, by the way, that I expect every single piece of copy I write to be happy, happy, joy, joy. That's right. not the point. Like sometimes I want to make you cry. Sometimes I want you to feel aggravated and annoyed and pissed off and angry and frustrated. Feeling like I want you to feel the breadth of emotions in the world when I write copy. Because all I'm doing when I tell a story, especially if it's a story about myself, I'll give you a great example. I recently wrote a Facebook post that was all just images of me from like 10 years ago when I was a professional power lifter. If you look at me now, I am definitely not a professional power lifter. I've gained about 40 pounds. I'm heavy. I, uh, bleh, I'm i old. Uh, I'm not old, but I'm old. I, you know, like I, I'm starting to hit menopause, like all that shit, right? My hormones are like, like playing on a roller coaster most days, all kinds of stuff. I do not look nor feel like the girl I did 10 years ago. And the post I wrote was about not like, I keep those photos as a reminder of the person that I've been and the person I could still become. Right. And so many of us are so afraid to tell our stories because we hide the stories away that we're embarrassed about or we feel shameful about. I could hide the fact that I've gained like 40 pounds or I could tell the story because it's freaking relatable. How many of us hit our forties and gained weight that we were like, yo, where did that happen? <laughs> like I didn't change anything. I didn't, I didn't stop going to the gym. I still go to the gym three days a week. I still eat the same food I always ate, but Hey, welcome to my forties. My hormones have slowed down and my body was like, screw this. We're going to pack on weight. Right. But I still have the power to go back and change it. Just like when you write shitty copy, right? You can have a website that's not converting. It's shitty copy because it's written in your belief bubble, not your client's belief bubble, because you didn't use love letter language, whatever the reason. And you can still go back and change it. The point is, it isn't a one moment in time only scenario. We still have the power to fix it. Now, see, the interesting thing was I gave you a story about me. I wrap me into it, which means that I show you my vulnerability. I'm not afraid to get gross with you. I'm not afraid to show you that I've gained weight and like it sucks. But you can now relate it because you see the story and go, oh, you're right. She could change it. It is possible. What we once had is still possible again. We don't have to rely on what's happening right now. If we've seen success in the past, we can see success in the future. You start to see the story we understand, we find the narrative, the learning in the story. I'm just giving you a mirror. And the mirror in this case happens to be my own. I'm like holding up my own mirror and being like, this is my shame. This shot, this sucks. Welcome to my life. But I've got a plan and we're fixing it. And you too can have a plan. If your copy is shitty, if you've had success in the past, but you're not now, we can optimize and change things. Come on back. Let's work again. Let's do this. The story helps us understand it. Metaphor is by far and away. If you don't know how to write a metaphor, please, A, go Google a metaphor, and B, start writing metaphors. 
because all your stories should be is metaphors. Every story you tell, every story you tell is just a metaphor for something else. And it's up to us to take the learning and the understanding beneath it. It's the reason we tell stories about like the princess and the pea or the rabbit and the turtle. Rabbit and the, wait, turtle and the hare? Yes. What is that? Sorry, turtle and the hare. (laughs) Right? We tell these stories because there's a lesson there. The reason they are passed down generationally is because the lesson still applies. We talk to kids about Hansel and Gretel going into the forest, chasing candy and ending up in a witch's thing. Why? Well, we still have some bias against witches, but also, you know, candy is bad for kids. So you shouldn't just chase after candy and you shouldn't follow strangers. There's a bunch of lessons in there. <laughs> right. Depending upon where you are in life, you're going to take the lesson that you need out of it is the point. So a book is it a chance for you to write a giant metaphor for whatever you're teaching somebody so that it ingrains and instills in them and becomes a core memory. There is nothing I love more than when a client reads something I've written and goes, this is a core memory. Like I'm always going to remember this story because it was so crazy or it was so cool. Like one of the weirdest stories that I remember, one of my favorite metaphors is about whale vomit. Do you know anything about whale vomit? Mm-mm. Yeah, right. You're about to. So whale vomit... <laughs> Whale vomit is pretty rad. Whale vomit is actually something that um, you wouldn't think it's all exciting and whatnot, but every fancy perfume, if you've ever owned perfume, and I have perfume in my desk, if you've ever owned a fancy perfume, you are in fact spraying whale vomit on your body because whale vomit is the single greatest source of a, um, uh, like a, a, an ingredient that holds scent than anything else. And it's used in every major expensive perfume that ever existed in the world. It has a neutral scent. It is, it holds scent really well and it allows it to absorb into the skin better than anything else. It's why expensive perfume is better than cheap perfume. It's why expensive perfume costs more. Why? Because whale vomit is really hard to find, (laughs) right? There are a lot of whales in the world, but finding whale vomit is actually hard. And there are- I was gonna say, I don't even wanna know how they get it. Yeah, like the whale has to vomit. Oftentimes it shows up on a shore, but like they will pay literally hundreds of thousands of dollars for a tiny little square of whale vomit. Like it's crazy how much we do, but it goes into our perfume and something that we use all the time. And think about that. If something that you would consider useless, I don't know about you, but the last time I vomited, nobody wanted to save it to put into a perfume. Something as gross as whale vomit makes an expensive luxury product that much more luxury. (laughs) Think of that. Think of the value of that. So now there's a lesson in it for you, right? Like right. maybe your whale vomit. I often think of myself, my business and myself as whale vomit. I am nothing spectacular on the outside, but if you work with me, God damn, it's going to be the best experience you've ever had. And you're going to love your copy. I am whale vomit. <laughs> I right? love it. Right. But now do you see the metaphor? You're like, yes, yes I got it. Totally. Yes. So always think about metaphors as a way to teach people something because for the rest of your days, you've now created this hilarious core memory where you're going to remember about whale vomit. You might even go look it up and whatever. But you've created this like funny niche where you're like, damn, I want to be whale vomit. I got it. Like whale vomit is a cool thing to be. The writing of the book is all about leaving that legacy and we shape it with stories. So you can write a book about leadership. You can write a book about uh, a vitamin or supplement. You can write a book about how to do copywriting. You can write a book about, like you can literally write a book about anything. What makes it different? What makes it yours 
is your take on it that's slightly different than everybody else's and how you visualize it. So when I talk quantum copy method, I piss off a lot of people that talk bro marketing. Cool. I love that. Why? Because I would rather be known for quantum copy method than bro marketing any goddamn day of the week. Yes, the work that I do is slower for sales than using bro marketing. I still admit this. However, my sales have far fewer returns, more happy clients, more incredible social social uh, proof that mm -hmm. it works. And probably more returning clients. And more returning clients. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So it, you know, if you're looking for the instant sale, you're not using my method. If you're looking for longevity and legacy in your products and services, you are. That's how it works. Very cool. I love uh, it. Ghostwriting is the fastest way to do that. So often I tell people uh, writing a book solidifies your authority and it allows you to have another option and way that people can access you. Also, if you want to speak on stages, it is by far and away the best tool because a book gives you the ability to sell something else from stage. You're not a one and done one trick pony. You have something else to sell from stage. So once I've done my talk, if I get up and I talk about a quantum copy method, for example, if I had a book, which I do not at this point, but if I write the thing uh, or when I write the thing, I should say, I could do a talk like this and then say, hey, Allison, can you do me a favor? Can you also toss up a link to grab my book for anybody that wants to know this deeper? And you guys can grab the book, right? That's the power of what you're doing. I always think of a book as an opening. It's like the 101 version of what you're doing. It goes a little bit deeper than what you probably talk about on a podcast or on a talk. It solidifies your knowledge and it gives you room to grow, right? So if if I was to write a quantum copy book, I would write the 101 version knowing that probably in five years time as the world shifts again, I might be doing an update that's a 102. Mm-hmm. And saying, hey, here's what happens. And I might have a great concept for it. Um, more people than not use it because they want to speak on stage. There is ghostwriting of people who just want legacy books. A legacy book is something that tells your story. It's like the blueprint of how I got through all the shit that I went through. That if you're ever in this situation, you can too. Those work really well for people who've literally been through hell and back. And the reason you write those books is catharsis. Writing a book is a healing process. So if you're ready to uh, cathartically remove it from your life and to heal it once and for all and to handle it, that's the reason you write those books. They are hard books to write. Hmm. It is hard to tell your story and do it in a way that feels authentic and aligned and not screwing over somebody that may still be alive that's not going to be happy about you printing shit about them. Those books are by far the fastest way I've seen to healing. They're my favorite books to coach people with. I genuinely there are people that will ghostwrite those books for you i'm not that author i prefer not to ghostwrite people's legacy projects i will book coach you and help you write those projects but the catharsis comes when you put pen to page not when i put pen to page yeah so there's it depends on the type of book you're writing people that love ghosts um are people genuinely business books are my jam that's all i write 100 percent. i love writing for coaches and businesses that are that are very much in the transformational space uh, or the business space, those books are easy to write because the stories that you're writing may have something to do with you, but they're usually not. They're like almost like five steps removed. So it's easier to write those because you're taking a step back from it just a little bit. 
books that are traditionally about you, whether it was your cancer journey, your battle with abuse, you know, climbing Everest, whatever, those books are harder to write because they're first person. It's your narrative to tell. Mm -hmm. uh, there are ghostwriters that do it. But like I said, I tend to work with humans who want to heal when we write those books. And because of that, I don't write them for them. I just help them write them. I would rather that's coach awesome. than write. Yeah. So yeah, that's the difference. Wow. So, well, I have to say, Crystal, this has been a plethora of information. It's been a lot of fun speaking to you. And I know my audience is definitely going to want to learn more about you. They may want to learn more about the quantum copy method. So when they are on social, where can they find you? Uh, so the best place to find me is you can Google my name, Crystal Adair hyphen Benning on Facebook. Add me as a friend. Find me on Instagram at Word Magic Copywriting. Uh, Twitter, I think it's Word Magic Copy. <laughs> or it's simply like, honestly, the best way to know more about me is check out my website. So it's wordmagiccopywriting.com. And at the very top, there's a tiny little bar. I believe it's in yellow or pink that says, come take copy for coaches for free. Copy for coaches is actually the deeper version of what I just talked about, including slides of the quantum copy method. So if you want to get to know it better and deeper, just register there. It's like an auto click. It'll send you the file. You can, you can have a look through and let me know. You also get on my email list and you can do exactly what I did. If you want to know how to write better copy, copy my shit. Yeah. I right. That's the best way is to read yeah. other emails. <laughs> yeah. Take, take my emails and literally copy it for yourself. I mean, you can't copy it word for word. That's creepy, but you could literally take it and go, oh, I understand what she's doing here. She's talking about this, or she's, she's teaching me a metaphor, or she's used love letter language. Use my own copy to learn because it's all okay. written in the quantum copy method. That's so cool. Well, Crystal, I will make sure that your information's in the show notes for our audience. And thank you so much for this amazing conversation today. And I'm sure I'll have you back. <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks, Allison. I can't thank you enough for listening today and supporting this show. The best way to support me and grow the podcast is by leaving a written review on Apple iTunes. I promise you, I read every review and take them to heart. And don't forget, head to bossladyinsweatpants.com to grab all my freebies or hang out with me on Instagram at Allison Scholes. I'll see you soon.